Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined this week by Solis Chuku in Lagos, Nigeria, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we look ahead to the Under-17 Africa Cup of Nations, which starts this weekend in Algeria. Also, we assess the chances of South Africa's expression of interest to host the 2027 Women's World Cup being successful. And we have an interview with Nigeria and Ajax defender Calvin Bassey on what's been a difficult season. I spoke to one of my friends the other day and he said, if you never failed, you won't know what it feels like to win. And you won't appreciate your wins. That's coming later, plus Stuart on the English Premier League and whether Manchester City have pretty much wrapped up the title with their win over Arsenal. Let's start with the CAF Champions League, the second legs of the quarterfinals on this weekend. We'd add Casablanca of Morocco hosting Simba of Tanzania. Uh, Simba having won the first leg by a goal to nil. Uh, South Africa's Mamelodi Sundowns with a huge advantage going into the second leg of their tie against Algeria's CR Belouis dad. Sundowns won the first leg 4-1. Also on Saturday, Raja Casablanca of Morocco playing Al-Athli of Egypt, the 10-time champions in the tie of the quarterfinals, Al-Athli took the first leg by two goals to nil. And Esperance of Tunisia playing J.S. Kabali of Algeria. Esperance won the first leg 1-0 away from home. Now bids are coming in for the 2027 edition of the Africa Cup of Nations finals and Kenya, Tanzania and Uganda look set to bid to host having submitted a joint expression of interest to the Confederation of African Football. Also registering interest are Algeria, Botswana and Egypt. And also for the 2027 FIFA Women's World Cup, FIFA have received four expressions of interest, including one from the South African Football Association. Uh, Brazil are in the race too, and there's a joint bid from Belgium, the Netherlands and Germany, and another joint bid from the USA and Mexico. Well, South Africa, of course, hosted the 2010 Men's World Cup, one of the all-time highlights in African football. Uh, Solis Chuku joins me from Lagos in Nigeria. Uh, so, Solis, is it time for South Africa to do it again? And how are their chances in what is uh, a really strong-looking field? Um, what can I say, Steve? To be honest, the chances are not great. Um, obviously, South Africa hosting the 2010 Men's World Cup is still... Look back upon very fondly all over the world. Culturally, it was a touchstone moment. We had Waka Waka, which was a great World Cup song. Um, the tournament itself was really good, really memorable with Spain coming out on top. So um, there's a lot of positive mental association for that World Cup. And Africa has never hosted a Women's World Cup. So um, when you look at that, look at it within that context. South Africa have as good a shout as anyone, really. And um, the stadiums they built for that tournament and the infrastructure as well, they've all held up quite well up until this point. So you want to say why not? But when you look at it another way, 2010 was a long time ago. It's been 13, 13 years now. And by the time the 2027 World Cup rolls by, 
it will have been 17 years. Um, South Africa is in a very different place now than it was back then, both from an economic standpoint and from a social political one. So um, that sort of muddies things a little bit. Um, and really, like you say, the field that they're up against is really strong. Apart from Brazil, who, as we know, was at the 2014 World Cup, all the others, um, all the other bidders have upcoming tournaments on the men's side as well. Um, Germany are hosting the 2024 Euros. Um, USA and Mexico are part of the 2026 hosting um, of the World Cup itself. So that stands them in good stead. And really, we saw that in 2010, it took the outright zoning of the World Cup hosting for South Africa to finally get the chance that it had been pushing for for a long time on the men's side of things. I mean, we saw they came second behind Germany for 2006. And really, within an African context, yes, South Africa have a great shout, but we've seen the likes of Morocco and Egypt step up to host as well. So I think really if it was those countries at the moment, I think they may have a bit more merit. We saw Morocco hosted the Club World Cup not that long ago. So I think they might be looked their bids will probably be looked on more um more favorably at this time. So it's it's a real tough one. It would be great for South Africa to host, but there's so much for them to go up against, really. Yes, it really is a strong field that to, to host the 2027 FIFA Women's World Cup. And now the under-17 Africa Cup of Nations gets underway this weekend in Algeria. Algeria having hosted the CHAN, the African Nations Championship, earlier this year. Uh, there are 12 teams participating. Group A has Algeria, Senegal, Congo, Brazzaville and Somalia. In Group B, it's Nigeria, Morocco, South Africa and Zambia. And in Group C, Cameroon, Mali, Burkina Faso and South Sudan. And now the 2021 edition didn't take place because of COVID. So the last edition of the Under-17 Africa Cup of Nations was back in 2019. It was won by Cameroon. Well, Ghana, Nigeria, the Gambia, Mali and Cameroon have two titles each. So how do you see this one going, Solis? Yeah, Steve, like you say, there are some traditional powerhouse countries when you're talking about African youth football um, and really when you look at the field you expect them to be in the running once again there's this very you know common subplot around African youth football which is overreach players we've seen Cameroon for example be gutted by it they had publicly had issues with MRI testing for each verification and that led to uh, Fekka Food President Samuel to disbanding the entire team. So there may be issues with cohesion for Cameroon coming into this tournament. And that's one storyline that I think is worth looking out for. Um, we're also seeing the rise of South Sudan in youth football. If you recollect, they got to the quarterfinals in you know, the 20 AFCON um, in Egypt um, it just here, just recently in March. They got trounced. At that level, but it's really interesting to see them really, you know, rise and make their mark on continental football at youth level. I think that's, we could see something special from South Sudan down the line. Um, but really, it will probably come down to the usual suspects to win here. Like you say, Nigeria, um, Mali, you know, Gambia, Ghana all have strong pedigrees in this competition. Gambia, of course, got to the final on the 20 level. Um, they lost to Senegal, who are, you know, I don't even know if it's fair to call them dark horses. They've not traditionally done as great in this tournament, but at the moment, they're in the middle of a conquering spree all across all eight groups and competitions in African football at the moment. So it's impossible to look out, look at a tournament going on in Africa at the moment and bet against Senegal. Obviously, they have a great 
academy system, you know, they're churning out young players at incredible rates at the moment. So I think they will be a major player as well, along with the traditional powerhouses. And really, I'm just looking forward to um, getting a new batch, a new set of future world beaters. I mean, these are the guys who will probably go on to represent Africa's interests all across Europe at the biggest clubs. Yes, it'll be interesting. We'll be following this one here on Planet Sport Football Africa, show brought to you by Passion for Sport. It's Algeria against Somalia in the opening game on Saturday. And uh, yeah, certainly South Sudan uh, making good progress uh, in youth football. Well, now to our interview with Nigeria and Ajax defender Calvin Bassi, who has admitted that he struggled with the abuse he received during a poor run of form at the Dutch giants Ajax following his move to the club. Bassi made a big money switch from Rangers in Scotland to Ajax for an initial $23 million after his impressive performances for Rangers, particularly in their run to last season's Europa League final. Uh, but Abassi struggled in his early days at Ajax and was heavily criticised by supporters and by pundits, with some suggesting that they spent far too much money on him. He has, however, impressed a lot since Johnny Heitinger replaced Alfred Schroeder as manager and seems to be growing into the game with the Dutch outfit. Well, Calvin Bassi spoke to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oloashin Alkaleji first about his tough start at Ajax. Of course, I mean, it's, it's hard to settle in, you know, um, there's, there's things that need to be worked on, but I mean, that's with most of us, we all have strengths and weaknesses, we're young players, um, and yeah, it's just about enjoying it, the most important thing is enjoying playing football, if you don't enjoy it, you're not going to get better, if you don't enjoy it, you're not going to improve and not, not going to be as dedicated and give as much love and passion into, yeah, I'm starting to enjoy it, I've settled down, and yeah, I'm loving it. The last time I spoke to you, you said don't let anything get to your heart and don't let something get to, into your head too much. So when you start feeling the heat from the media, from some of the critics in the Netherlands, did you take to your own advice? Did you hit to your own advice? Yeah, of course. It's, it's always hard, but of course I, I blocked it all out. You know, um, God is my strength and God wouldn't have put me in a position I can't handle. So I know God's put me here for a reason and I'm not here by a chance. I'm here because this is where he wants me to be. And I have to face it and go along with it and take each day as it comes and train. Give the maximum. Don't feel let down or don't feel sad. And at the end of the day, I don't feel like there's any pressure on me. You know, there's no pressure on me because I, I know why I'm here. And however long it takes, I'm a fighter. I'm going to improve and that's one thing I know I'm going to improve and I'm not here. This ain't, this football isn't pressure. Pressure is when you you can't feed your kids. You ain't got money to feed your kids. That's what you call real pressure. This is not real pressure. I spoke to one of the coaches today and he said the same thing. Pressure is when you can't feed your kids or you don't have money to clothe your kids. That's what, when real pressure is. So this isn't pressure. I can't let football pressure me. So yeah. Did you ever get to a point where you felt like, nah, this shouldn't, this, this shouldn't be happening. People need to understand that footballers do fade tough times and good times. Of course. I think, I think nobody, you can't really speak to anybody that doesn't play football about the hardship of football because it's hard for them to understand or hard for them to grasp because they don't see what happens behind the scenes and the constant struggle and the constant sacrifices. And I spoke to one of my friends the other day and he said, if you never failed, you won't know what it feels like to win. 
and you won't appreciate your wins. And for me, it's like, for example, I'm always away from my family, so when I get home, I'm always excited. But people don't realize these little things because they see their family every day and they don't make a difference to them. But like, we learn to appreciate things that we haven't got or, and we know football, there's going to be ups and downs. And that's why the, the ups are so much sweeter than the downs because of the sacrifice and the work you see it pay off. And yeah, of course, I got to a point where I felt like it was, it was a bit like unfair, but you know, football's unfair. Life's unfair. So I've just got to carry on. I can't keep focusing on the negative. I can't let people ruin my energy because at the end of the day, I'm a positive child of God. And that's why I'll always be and make sure I give the maximum every single day. And also with Nigeria, um, you're looking forward to playing in your first African Cup of Nations with the country. How important is it for Nigeria to qualify on the back of failing to reach the World Cup in 2022? Oh, it's, it's, I think it's the most important goal. Like we're not, we're not trying to go to, to the AFCON to just be part of it. And you know, we feel like we've got the right squad and we've got lots of tons of talent to, to potentially win it and, and be in the fold. And, you know, it's just about consistency. You know, it's hard when we only meet up four times a year. This was the longest break and you see connections start to go. But, you know, it's just about making sure we're, we give the full maximum when we're here and, um, everyone needs to respect that, you know, and, and, take into, into into account that we're not with each other all the time so you know it, it might be take a bit longer to build connections but yeah we're, we're working on that you know AFCON's so important to us and we're there we want to be there to 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 be potentials in it not just to be a part of it and I think we have the quality to finally as a child of God you, you you often talk you know about your faith and how you connect with God and all of that as a sportsman how important is it to know that you know your life in Christ and your belief and your faith tends to carry you all the way when you get on the pitch. I think it's the most important thing because I see people that, you know, don't really believe in anything. And I, I just feel like when times get hard, what do you call upon? Or when times are good, who do you thank? And like, I, like, I don't know how people can believe, you know, the world started with a big bang. It's, it's, sometimes it's, it's silly to hear, but you know, um, me, I believe in God and God is my strength. And time and time again, he's strengthened me. Time and time again, he's, he's plucked me out of a deep hole. Time and time again, he's, he's stood by me. Time and time again, he, he's come through for me. My God has never failed me. God will never fails. And I feel like it's so important to have faith and, and believe in God and try to live your life best, best to God. And, and the thing is like, football's just a part of it. Like, my life is, trying to be a better Christian, not trying to be the best footballer. You know, of course I love football and I'm going to give my all to be the best footballer, but first and foremost is being the best child of God I can because at the end of the day, this world will go, I'm not going to take the cars, I'm not going to take the money, I'm not going to take anything with me. All I'm going to take is my soul and I want to make sure I've done everything I can to get in paradise. Well, that is Nigeria and Ajax defender Calvin Bassi speaking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oluwashina Okaleji about his football and about his faith. Uh, well, Solis, how would you assess uh, Bassi's time uh, at uh, Ajax this season? Yeah, I, I think that in terms of the sort of season Calvin Bassi has had, having the right perspective and um, faith is hugely important. 
trial of our feet works patience. And to be honest, it's been a very trying season for Basi at Ajax. Um, if you want that to grade it, I'd say probably mixed to negative in terms of how his performances have been received. Although, to be honest and to be fair to him, a lot of that is not really been down to him or, you know, circumstances he could control. This is only Basi's second senior club campaign. In his entire career, he's a bit of a late bloomer, if you could call it that. I don't think there's been enough understanding of that. And I think he's not been helped by a number of things. For one thing, I don't think Ajax have actually settled on what his best position is, where they would like to play him. Uh, we know Bassi is versatile. He can play a centre-back, he can play a left-back. But he, there's been a lot of chopping and changing between both in his time in Amsterdam and it's not really helped him settle and you know get his mind in the right place. Um another th- another thing I think is the fact that it seems like Ajax did not really pay attention to the sort of framework within which Bassi did well at Rangers. So um Rangers obviously got to the final of the Europa League where they lost to Eintracht Frankfurt. Um this this team, this Rangers team, was a very organized, very disciplined team, one that sought to break forward um, after absorbing pressure. So there weren't large distances. It was all very coherent, very compact, very cohesive, uh, with Bassi often playing on the left of the back three. But now, a lot of the time, whether he's played at centre-back or played at left-back, he's asked to defend very large spaces. I think there's a lot of tactical incoherence at at Ajax and nothing encapsulates that better than the managerial unrest um, around former manager Alfred Schroeder who um, there were a lot of concerns over his lack of dressing leadership, his lack of clarity in terms of the tactics that the team was supposed to adopt and even in terms of the Nigerian national team, I mean sort of the same thing um, in Jose Pesero, Nigeria have a manager who wants to play a very attacking brand of football, but who has tended to not protect his defense that well. And I think we've seen Basio likewise struggle within that framework. He's a very young player. He's someone who's still growing. He needs as much help as he can get in terms of not leaving him exposed all of the time. And that's just something that whoever is managing him is going to have to take into account. When you have a young player like this with a lot of upside, um, what you do not do is expose him on the basis that, oh, he's young, he'll, he'll recover, he'll find his position again. You, you know, make everything around him work as cohesively as possible to get the best out of him because, like I say, he's someone who has a lot of potential, um, both physically and mentally. So, um, it's been a difficult time for him, but I think this is the sort of thing that in the long run will help him mature into a more, um, well-rounded, more assured player down the line. Yeah, thanks, Solis. We'll see how things go uh, for Calvin Bassi uh, at uh, Ajax. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA, and you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs too in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. We're next on the show, joined by our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK. Uh, no doubt about the global football story that people are talking about, uh, that 4-1 win for Manchester City over Arsenal midweek in the English Premier League. So, uh, Stuart, uh, is the title pretty much decided now? What do you think? Well, Steve, before Wednesday night's big game, City manager Pep Guardiola insisted that the game was not a league decider. I mean, I doubt if he really believed that, and certainly no one else did. And in the end, City's 4-1 win not only showed what a gulf there is between the two teams, but clearly established City 
as the overwhelming favourites to be Premier League champions. Arsenal still lead by two points, but Manchester City have played two less games and have a better goal difference. That's City with seven to play, Arsenal five to play. And City have played Arsenal three times this season and won all three. Another factor as we look at the run-in for the title is that City are simply playing their best football of the year, while Arsenal are in the middle of their worst run. I mean, in Arsenal's three previous games, they went 2-0 up at Liverpool, 2-0 up at West Ham, settling for a draw each time. Then at home to the bottom team, Southampton, they needed two goals in the last five minutes to sneak a draw. And 4-1 in no way flattered City, because Erling Haaland actually missed three chances he would normally have put away, so the margin could have been bigger. Haaland did get a late goal, his 33rd in the league and 49th in all games for City. An unbelievable number, and particularly given that City don't normally play with a centre-forward, so he had to adjust to their system and them to him. But as well as the skill, one thing which impressed me about Manchester City was their work rate. I remember an incident when Arsenal's Bukayo Saka had a good run and was suddenly dispossessed by Grealish. Yes, Jack Grealish, the City playmaker who had sprinted back 50 metres to make the tackle. And the other thing is the depth of the City squad and the way that Guardiola somehow keeps them all happy. I mean, think of Riyad Mahrez scored three goals in his last game for City but had to wait until the 72nd minute before he was needed. Then there's Julian Alvarez, a World Cup winner with Argentina. City didn't bring him on until the last 10 minutes against Arsenal. And many people think that Phil Foden is the most talented English-born player in the Premier League. He had to wait on the bench until the 87th minute. You could actually ask Steve if any of the current Arsenal players would get a starting place at Manchester City. It's a disappointing end to the season for Arsenal... But they have been brilliant this season, going top of the league in October, and well, they're still top. They're a young team playing exciting football, but it just underlines how good Manchester City are, and indeed how good Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool were, and going back, how good Alec Ferguson's Manchester United teams were, to achieve that excellence, but also with consistency. Statistically, Arsenal have used less players, less substitutes than any other Premier League team. And I think that to challenge Manchester City in the long term, they need a stronger and deeper squad. And I know I'm repeating myself, but if Manchester City can outplay Arsenal with the 11 players on the field and then bring on Riyad Mahrez, Julian Alvarez and Phil Foden, it just shows how hard they are to compete with. Yes, such depth in the Manchester City squad and uh, still chasing the treble. There's a Manchester derby to look ahead to in the FA Cup final as a City and United have won their semi-finals. Yes, um, the FA Cup final is not until June as we continue to catch up with the six-week interruption to the World Cup. And we now know for the first time ever it's a Manchester derby, United against City. City reached the final by defeating Sheffield United 3-0 with Riyad Mahrez getting all three goals. 
The other semi-final, Manchester United and Brighton, was altogether closer. Nil-nil after 90, nil-nil after extra time, six penalties for each team scored. Then Brighton's Sully Marsh shot over the bar, leaving Lindelof to score his penalty and win the game. It was a harsh defeat for Brighton, who arguably seemed the better team. And that was a fact recognised by the man of the match, being the Manchester United goalkeeper, David De Gea. And incidentally, with that second semi-final ending nil-nil, and Mares scoring all City's goals, the Algerian had a unique distinction of being the first person since 1880 to be the only goalscorer in two cup semi-finals. But the week ended better for Sheffield United, beaten 3-0 by City, as they sealed promotion to the Premier League after two years in the Championship. And interestingly, we understand that the Championship club is in negotiation with the Nigerian businessman, Dozi Mabusi, who is considering buying the club. That's one to watch. Interesting. And a tough times for Chelsea continue, Stuart, uh, and for Tottenham too. Well, Tottenham season just goes from bad to worse. Last weekend, after 21 minutes, they were 5-0 down at Newcastle, losing the game 6-1. And the club reacted by firing Christian Stellini, their interim manager who had been appointed at the end of March and was fired after three games in which he had a draw and two defeats. Now, Stellini had been an assistant under Antonio Conte and was then appointed to replace him when Conte left last month. Now, you may recall that Conte's departure followed a rant in which he said that the Tottenham players lacked motivation, lacked commitment and were selfish. Well, (laughs) I think a few people watching them concede five goals in 21 minutes may have thought that Conte had a point in his assessment of the Tottenham squad. And now for the second time, Ryan Mason, another of the coaching staff, has been put in temporary charge until the end of the season. Well, that's what they say, but they also told us that Stellini would be there to the end of the season. And another struggling week for Chelsea. Frank Lampard has been in charge for five games, three league games, two Champions League quarterfinals, and his record is played five, lost five. Most recently, on Wednesday, losing at home to Brentford. Now, to put that in context, Steve, for most of my time watching football, Chelsea have been one of the top teams in Europe and Brentford have been playing in the lower divisions of English football. Now Chelsea find themselves in the bottom half of the table, eight points behind their West London rivals. And there was one group of supporters of Chelsea at the game holding up a banner We have confidence in you, Frank. But as some would said, were they referring to Frank Lampard or to the Brentford manager, Thomas Frank? And I saw a sad quote from Didier Drogba this week. He said he no longer recognised Chelsea as the club that he had played for. Drogba, of course, played in two Champions League finals for Chelsea. The current team won't even qualify for the Europa League, despite spending $700 million on new players this season. Yes, it's quite a crisis at Chelsea. And what else have we got for us, Stuart? Well, Nottingham Forest moved out of the bottom three with a 3-1 win over Brighton. 
Forrest missed a penalty, went 1-0 down, but showed great character to come back and win. And they had five Africans on the pitch on Wednesday. Serge Aurier from Ivory Coast, Moussa Nikati and Cheku Kuwati from Senegal, Awanui from Nigeria and Andre Ayu from Ghana. And another outstanding performer for Forrest was goalkeeper Kaylor Navas. Uh, the goalkeeper who played for Real Madrid and PSG. But Steve, I particularly remember him in the 2014 World Cup in Brazil when Costa Rica reached the quarter-final, losing only on penalties, and Navas was a star. Steve, we try to be unbiased in our coverage of the Premier League, but I would love to see Forrest survive, not because they're my team at all, but because they have stuck with manager Steve Cooper when eight of the bottom ten clubs have changed manager, or at least once. So well done, Forrest, for sticking with Cooper and giving him a chance. Finally, Steve, in the last three weeks, Bukayo Saka, Mo Salah, Sonny Marsh and Erling Haaland have all missed the target with a penalty. I mean, they've shot wide of the goal or over the crossbar. And they're all left-footed. But on the other hand, Riyad Maris and Erling Haaland have each scored a left-footed hat-trick. Work that one out. <laughs> well, have they indeed. Well, thanks, Stuart. Uh, right before we go, our question on social media this week, we're asking, is the English Premier League title race over after Man City's win over Arsenal on Wednesday? No doubt they have the initiative in the race, but uh, is the hope for Arsenal still, with a City playing two games every week for the rest of the season? Is the title race still alive or is it over? You can go to our Facebook page and post a comment there. That's Planet Sport Football Africa. Or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Is the English Premier League title race over? Well, from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solis Chuku in Lagos, Nigeria, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening, and Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.